We are starting a God with us series this morning um, with uh, Christmas in mind. Uh, and the scripture is from Matthew chapter 1, verses 18 to 23. This is how the birth of Jesus the Messiah came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph, but before they came together, she was found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit. Because Joseph, her husband, was faithful to the law and yet did not want to expose her to public disgrace, he had in mind to divorce her quietly. But after he had considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife, because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. Uh, today, as Cindy mentioned, we are, we are starting this Christmas series called God with Us, and we're going to be looking, about, looking at how God is with us even when life is hard. Uh, for the Christmas story, the original Christmas story was messy, which is good news because life is messy. And the true Christmas story wasn't all warms and fuzzies and God dispensing gifts from on high, decreeing, turn thy frowns upside down. But in fact, it was, it was a story of God entering into the messiness of life with us and for us. So today, and through this series, as we, as we push forward in this month of December, we're going to see how God meets us and actually helps us even when life is hard. So let me pray and then we'll, then we'll jump right in. Father, we thank you for uh, the Christmas story. Uh, a time of year where we can just remember as a society just, just the wonderful things that life affords. And if we uh, know about the original story, or at least are able to, to hear about it, we are, we are told of the best news of all, that you sent your son into this world. But Lord, today, would you help us as we ponder this idea that you came to be with us even in the hardest parts of life? For those who are here going through hardships, Lord, would you especially be with them? Would you give them your spirit? Would you minister to them? But to each of us, we ask that you would, you would speak to us and, and touch us today. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so let me just read the first two verses again. Matthew, in his gospel account, his biography of Jesus, starts essentially the Christmas story this way. This is how the birth of Jesus, the Messiah, came about. His mother, Mary, was pledged to be married to Joseph, but before they came together, she was found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit. Because Joseph, her husband, was faithful to the law and yet did not want to expose her to public disgrace, he had in mind to divorce her quietly. Doesn't that sound a little bit like the opening, an opening to a soap opera? I mean, not that I know what soap operas are about, but I mean, seriously, it's like, okay, here's Mary, who's pledged to be married to this guy, Joseph, but she's pregnant with child, and Joseph knows it's not his just because, trust us, he knows it's not his, and, and by the way, God's the dad. Uh, that part might not be a soap opera thing, but, um, but you, get, you get the point. I mean, listen to this. Matthew is starting with this huge, history-shaking declaration. Here is how the birth of Jesus the Messiah came to be. And it was followed by all this drama, all of this mess, all of this hardship. Last year, we looked at Luke's account of the Christmas story, and Luke really focuses more so on the life of Mary. And what most scholars uh, believe to be true is Mary had to be at most about 18 years old at this time, so maybe even as young as 14 years old. So just really young. Let me ask you, how were you processing life at those ages? 
you know, 14, 18 years old? How would you be coming to grips with being with child and society thinking maybe we should stone her? I mean, it wasn't very commonly practiced, but it wasn't out of the question back then for infidelity. Or how would you have been coming to grips as a, you know, 14, 18-year-old with this little thing called birthing the Son of God and raising Him, right? I mean, this is what Mary was facing. There's a lot of these things that she, was, she had to be feeling and just wrestling through. Uh, Matthew, in his account, focuses a bit more on Joseph. I love that because we don't have a whole lot in the Bible about Joseph, Jesus' earthly father. But here, Matthew lets us know that he was a good dude. He had a great heart. He was a man of integrity. Obviously, he's feeling deeply hurt and betrayed by what he can only perceive as being cheated on by Mary, and yet out of his great love for her, wants to, yes, divorce her, but do it in a way that wouldn't overly harm her or hurt her. Now, obviously, as a reader, we know Mary's more than above board here, but your heart has to go out to Joseph. Your heart has to go out to Mary. And this is how Matthew opens his account of the Christmas story. What a mess. But here's the kicker. And who's behind this story? Who's the author of all of these events? Of course, the answer to that is God Himself. And think of it this way. God in His infinite wisdom, with all the time and thought that He no doubt put into this event of all events when He was going to introduce His Son into human world, He wrote it this way, putting His Son right into the middle of the mess. To do what? If you look down at verse 21, you see, to save his people from their sins. Jesus, uh, God, the Father, wrote his son into mess so that he could save. God is in the business of saving. God is in the business of redeeming, which means he's not scared of your mess. He wants to use your mess for good. Uh, here's what we see. First thought as we, as we kind of work our way through. Sometimes God not only doesn't spare us from life's hardships, he actually orchestrates them. I mean, isn't that interesting how Joseph and Mary were just kind of written into this very uh, messy situation, and by, surprise, here's my son. Uh, sometimes God has a greater plan that we might not be able to get our heads or hearts around, but God doesn't only, uh, not, not only doesn't spare us, uh, or His people from life's hardship, He sometimes leads them into them. And that's actually all throughout the Scriptures. For instance, we see in Matthew's account, if you just skip ahead about 13, 14 chapters, there's a time in which Jesus' disciples, his 12 students, are out on the Sea of Galilee fending for them li their lives. I mean, just a furious squall just kind of came up, and waves are crashing over the side of the boat. The wind is just plowing down on them. These are professional boatmen, many of them, and they're getting ready to die. They're fearful out of their minds. And how do they get themselves into that situation? Here's how Matthew starts that account. Jesus made the disciples get into the boat and go to the other side. Thanks, Jesus. Actually, it's great. Actually, it's wonderful. Because while the disciples wouldn't have written that story of putting themselves in a near-death situation, on the other side of it, they got to learn so much. They got to learn how they could fix their eyes on Jesus. They could see how He is powerful even over the storm, let alone life storms. Jesus was developing their faith in a way that he couldn't have had they never experienced that sort of storm. Or take, for instance, the man of Job in the Bible, uh, a man who in the Bible is known for being uh, one of impeccable integrity, a man who cared for others, he was just selfless, a man who loved and honored God. 
Satan came to him and said, he came to God and said, said of Job, he only loves you, he only worships you, he only honors you and takes care of other people because you've made life easy for him, God. You've given him a comfortable life. That's why he sings your praises. That's why he cares for others. But if you take away any of that, you give him a hard life, he won't do that. And while God didn't directly bring about the harm that came to Job, he allowed it. And we're talking very real hardships. Not only did Job lose his possessions, he lost some of his family members. He developed these sores that became so agonizingly painful that there's plenty of times throughout the book of Job, he says, I, I, just, I literally just want to die. And yet, God used those hardships to show his own sovereignty and his own care, not only for Job, but also for the world, that the one who made the heavens and the earth knows us by name and calls us by name. Oh, and by the way, when you read to the end, you realize that he also redeems and provides for us too. God sometimes doesn't just not spare us from hardship. Sometimes he actually leads us into them. We might say of Mary and Joseph's situation, this isn't fair. They didn't sign up for what they had to face. God shouldn't have put this all upon them. But you want to guess who would have been the first people to have said, no, 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 it's okay, let it happen? I can't help but think that Mary and Joseph's future selves would have been those people. Because again, they might not have written the story of being really hard for them and all the scariness and the fear and the anxiety that were going to come their way, or even what they're facing right here in Matthew's text, let alone uh, as their lives continue. And yet, by the end of their lives, no doubt they were looking back and saying, we would have changed it for the world. God let us be a part of that. Here's the thing about hardship. It's really easy to just see it as all bad. Any of you guys facing hardship right now? Isn't it really easy to just focus on how hard it is, how uncomfortable, how painful it is? But what we see in Christ is even bad will be turned for good. Uh, my dad sent my brothers and sisters an email this week. Of a, of a little plaque that my grandma put on her uh, right next to the front door wherever they lived. So anytime they were going out uh, for the day or coming back in from the day, they had this little plaque that my grandma put up there. She just passed away a few years ago at the ripe age of 95. Wonderful, wonderful uh, woman. But here's, here's the, uh, the, the plaque, what it says, Romans 8, 28. It says, and we know that all things work together for good to them that love God. What an awesome verse or a little plaque to have out there in front of your, in front of your, your doorstep. Um, all things work together for good. Of course, that means even life's hardships are worked for good. I love how God, in, in reinforcing this promise, sent His Son into life's messiness. That, that promise right there on the screen is not just one that God, in a vacuum, wrote into a book and said, hey, you should just believe it. I mean, that would have been nice either way because he's God, and if he's God and we believe he's true, then okay, that's still helpful. But the gospel is he reinforced that promise by saying, I'm going to send my son into the mess to take care of the mess. You can trust me that I'm working all things together for the good of those who love me. Um, what hardship are you facing right now? Uh, what hardship are you facing that you right now only see as bad? What hardship might you be facing right now that only has you down, only has you upset, only has you worked up about? Uh, that hardship God actually wants to use for good. In fact, he may very well be orchestrating it in your life for good. 
for your good, for the good of others, for the good of others to come. Uh, have you ever experienced in life how some spheres of your life might all be kind of okay or, or good, whatever, just humming along, but then there's another sphere of your life that's just like, oh, man, this is so hard. So maybe, for instance, like in the workplace or with your group of friends, your social life, things are more or less okay. But at home, oh, my goodness, relationship with that family member or with your spouse or with, your, or with one, one kid, it's just like, oh, this is hard. It's just day after day, week after week, and how is this going to let up? Or maybe it's not at home, maybe it's in the workplace, like things are fine at home or things, things are okay with the friends, but when it gets to the workplace, oh, there's that one boss, oh my goodness, or those coworkers, some of you guys are nodding at that one, I won't home, uh, where it's just like, oh my goodness, it's just so hard. Have you noticed that? Sometimes it's just kind of like over here, over here. What I'm coming to realize is that often God will use those things in my life to grow me whether it's strengthening or refining my character or whether it's expanding or stretching my capacity. Sometimes what is really feels to me frustrating in my life, God actually wants to use for much good. Do you see how much of a game changer this thought is? Do you see how much this can transform our lives if we get our minds around us, those of us who are in Christ and cling to this promise? It means we can see the things that right now we're only seeing as bad and hard as actually good and actually as gifts. Um, that could do the world for us, let alone those around us. Uh, I had a, a friend recently tell me, I was absolutely blown away by this, a friend who recently just put their faith in Jesus. He said that what ended up happening is he had been going through such a hard thing, a hard few things in his life, just so hard. Lots of things are just really putting him through the ringer that he, it finally led him to see how much he needs Jesus. He's like, I, and then I realized I needed, I needed to put my faith in him. And he went on to say, you know, I realized that I needed God all along. I needed Jesus all along, but it took those hard things for me to actually see, and I'm actually now seeing these things that have been really hard actually as a gift. And I was just blown away by that. Um, but that's the promise here. We might not know the exact reasons hardships come into our lives, but we do know what God is about, how he's working things for good, redeeming the hard things. That's the first thought, that sometimes God doesn't uh, not... Uh, spare us from hardship, but leads us into him. Here's the second thought, but God will always give you what you need. Uh, if you look at verse 20, after Joseph had considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife, because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. Now, based on what Joseph understood of the situation, his betrothed wife being with child and having no other explanation for it than she had cheated on him, he had done everything in his power to kind of work it through and try to understand how to like best live this out without overly harming her. And it's at that point, after he considered this, that the Lord stepped in. Uh, this is when the Lord gave him what he needed to do his part. To Joseph, that came in the form of a dream, actually a vision in a dream. Uh, the angel spoke, for one thing, words of empowerment. The angel said, Joseph, son of David. That's a pretty powerful statement. That's the angel hearkening back to Joseph's lineage. Joseph, you're part of the line of King David, which is also, by the way, a part of the line of the prophesied Messiah, which we're going to get to here shortly. He's speaking words of empowerment, but then the angel is also speaking into his fears. Don't be afraid to take Mary home as your wife, because this is God's doing. In other words, she hasn't betrayed you. She loves you. She needs you. And then finally, we see here that the angel spoke 
into his purpose. By the way, Joseph, God is including you in his plan to, quote, save his people from their sin. God was giving Joseph what he needed. It may not always come in the form of a dream, though it could, but God will always give you what you need in whatever you're facing. I was reflecting on that this week in terms of certain things that I've faced in life that have been, you know, hard, hardships or challenging. And I mentioned last week how I have this autoimmune condition, this, this rare form of arthritis that just led up to the point where I had seen just doctor after doctor over, over the matter of, I don't know, about four or five years, and nobody knew what was going on. I mean, I saw something like 40 to 50 care physicians, and, and they were all saying, oh, it could be this, it could be this, so it's just kind of like a mouse chase. And then after a while, after a few years, a lot of them were saying, well, it's all just in your head which made it only worse for me. Now I'm all like, oh, no, I'm just like, I'm going crazy. Like, my mind is, I mean, and I got to the place where I was almost to the point where I was bedridden, you know, being able to stand like this. That's why if you see me doing this, um, you know, that's part of the reason. But I just got to the place where I couldn't stand too long, let alone walk. Uh, by God's grace, I, have, I was recently diagnosed, and I'm on medication that, that helps me uh, do what I need to do. So I'm very thankful. It's been a huge answer to prayer. But in the midst of all of that, and by the way, that's all happening at, coincidentally at the same time as starting current, it's like, God, how, how, how do I do this? How do we do this? And I can remember reflecting back on it, even this week as I was thinking about this text, how there have been times, little different times along the way, how God has just given me what I needed when I needed it. And I won't list them all out, but there's, a, there's one, for instance, I remember someone here, a good friend, leader in the church, uh, said at one point after an, an event, after an event, um, they were just asking about my health, and, and, and he said, David, I feel like maybe this is like, maybe this is that place where Paul, you know, writing to the, the Corinthian church talks about the thorn in the flesh. Maybe God's giving you this thorn in the flesh. And I remember thinking, whoa, that, that just really struck me right here. Um, now, what Paul was talking about when he was talking about thorn in the flesh is he was saying how he had this ailment, whether it was physical, emotional, spiritual. A lot of people debate what it was because Paul doesn't really get clear about it. This is in 2 Corinthians 12 if you want to look at it. But basically, Paul at one point says he has this ailment that he just prays, in fact, three times emphatically to God, would you please take this thorn in my side away? And he just clearly senses that God says, no, I'm not going to do that. And the conclusion of the matter is Paul's like, wow, actually, I realize that it's in my weakness his strength is made perfect. And so my, when my friend said that to me, there was like a heart moment for me, which I was grateful for him saying that, but I was really receiving as from God through him. It was a gift to me to help me carry on. Uh, there's different points. Again, I'm not going to list them all off that God just kind of met me in that journey. I remember there were plenty of times where people, especially, well, obviously Christians would say, David, you just have faith. It's going to be okay. God's going to take care of you. Uh, I was grateful for people saying that in my life, even as I was trying to figure out what this all meant, how it was all going to play out. And then I remember one person in particular who I just know, knew had gone through just so much of the hardest things that you can go through in life. And uh, he said almost essentially the same words. He said, you know what, David, you can have faith. It's, it's going to be okay. You can trust God. Essentially the same words I had heard over and over again from other people, but no, I don't know if it was because I knew what he was going through or if it was another just a kind of Holy Spirit God moment, but that, that was just a time in my life where I was like, whoa, thank you, God, for that. Um, God will give you what you need. Um, you can ask him for that. In fact, I have a, a pastor friend. He kind of laughs about this. He says, you know, I just... I, to the place where when I'm discouraged, I just ask God for encouragement. I'll just pray, God, I'm having a real hard time. Can you send me, can you send me just a little bit of encouragement? 
he's telling me, David, I can't tell you. Every, every single time I pray that prayer, I'm encouraged. Whether it's just like a little note that someone sends me or someone just calls me up out of the blue, whatever it might be, or it's just God opening my eyes to the things, that just the myriad of ways that he's always encouraging me, but I just didn't stop to reflect on. He always encourages me. When you're facing something hard, God will give you what you need. So what do you do? Like Joseph, don't quit. You know, uh, take the next right step and trust. And if you've been through that process before, I would just add one more process. Remember, don't quit. Do the next right thing and trust. He'll go before you. He'll give you what you need. And most of all, this text shows us, he gives us himself. This is in the last few verses. Joseph, you are to give him the name Jesus, which means the Lord saves, because he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. This is the gospel. This is the good news that Jesus Christ came into the world to save his people from their sins. Why is there hardship in the world? Because of sin. Sin is essentially our disobedience toward God and our selfishness towards other. We bring the hardships upon ourselves and upon others. It was not a part of the original design. And yet, we sin. But Jesus came to save his people. He came on a rescue mission, if you will, which meant he had to get to the very heart of our mess. God with us came to save us. That's what the cross is all about. Jesus taking all our sin, all, our, all the real mess of our lives onto his body. He took our punishment for us. He died for us. God with us died for us to make it possible to be in relationship with him. That's to say God did not spare his son from hard circumstances. He actually led him into them, even going to the cross. And because he did, whatever you and I face today, it's going to be redeemed. Whatever we face in this life, including death, is going to be redeemed. The hardest hardship of them all, it's going to be redeemed. Why? Because God with us died for us to save us from our sins. Uh, you can become one of his followers today, one of his, to use Matthew's thoughts here, you could become one of his today if you would receive him. John, in his account, says to all who receive him, to all who believe on his name, he gives the right to become children of God. You can receive him today. That's the good news. That's the gospel, that God with us came to save us from our sin. It just means leaning into that and receiving that. And if you have received him, this opening to the true Christmas story is an invitation to trust God, yes, even with the mess, to trust him even with the hardship to see that he wasn't afraid of entering into hardship. Why? Because he came to redeem it. And he came to redeem you in it and through it. So let's continue to sing at this time as we come and pray to our Jesus, the one who saves, and to our Emmanuel, God with us. Let's pray. Actually, before we pray, with, uh, with eyes closed and heads bowed and in a space of privacy, I want to give you an opportunity. If you'd like to receive Jesus today, the promise of the gospel that he came to die for you, for your sins, if you've never done that before, you can today. That's something we do in our hearts. We just say, God, yes, I need you to forgive my sins. I receive what you did for me on the cross. That's a decision we make with God in our hearts. And if you 
would like to do that today, you can act that out by raising your hand. It's not that raising your hand saves you. It's what Jesus did on the cross, and you receiving that saves you. But you can raise your hand, and I will see it and pray for you. More importantly, God will see it, receive you. So if you'd like to do that today, I want to give you a space in this time of privacy. You could raise your hand to, re- to receive God and what he's done for you on the cross through his son. Yes, I see that hand. Any others? Yes, I see another hand. Just give a couple more moments here. Let's pray. First off, Lord, I just want to pray for our two sisters who raised their hands to receive you today. Lord, would you receive them into your family? Lord, would you comfort their hearts and draw them close to you, knowing that you have just given them life, not just life now, but life forevermore with you. And Father, would you help them? Would you help all of us today, whenever we face hardship, to see that we can follow you, we can trust you, that you are with us, and you give us what you need, what we need. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.